Solway omnes. it's your host Magister Gross back for the Latin pod class, the fastest 15 minutes in education. In each episode, I'll deliver some hot Latin to your ears, talk through it like you're cramming for a midterm, and then catch you up on some grammar you should have learned already. Today we'll continue with the Aeneid, book 1, lines 8 to 22, and dive into our grammar of the week, present active participles. So let's jump right in. Musa mihi causas mamora, quol numene laiso, quidwe dolens, regina deum tot vovere casus, insignem pietate virum, tot adire labores, impuleret, tantaine animis caeles debis irae, herbs antiqua fuit, terii tenuere coloni, Carthago, Italiam contra Tiberina que longa, Ostia, diwes opum studiisque asperima belli, quam uno ferter teris magis omnibus unum, post habita, coluisse samo, hic ilius arma, hic curus fuit, hoc regnum dea gentibus esse, si qua fata senant, iam tum tenditque fowitque, progeniam sed enim Troiano a sanguine duci, Adirat, terias olim quae verteret arces, hinc populum latte regum bello quae superbum, venturum quae excidio libiae, sic vore parcas. Virgil begins his invocation to the muse by invoking the muse with a direct address, Musa telling her, Memora causas mihi, remember the causes for me. Quol numene leiso, by what wounded godhead? Quidwe dolend regina, or grieving what did the queen, and again here we're talking about Juno being the queen of the gods. And I want to point out here while we see it, dolens is a present active participle, where leiso in line 8 is actually a perfect passive participle, which we had seen last week. And it'll be a second here until we get our verb, impuret. But we're asking, what caused the queen of the gods to force a virum insignum pietate, a man so well known, so famous for his virtue? And that weir can translate either man or hero. We'll see it being used in both ways here. To turn over or to undergo so many casus, which we can translate as misfortunes or happenings or just things that fell down from the sky. And to go to adire so many labores, tot labores, so many labors. And again, this is almost an invocation of the uh, labors of Hercules that we see as well. And here we get what essentially is Virgil's thesis question. Tatainai animis caelestibis irai. And we have to supply an errant or a sunt here. Can there be such great anger in the minds of the celestial beings of the gods? Notice here the ne on tantai ne is making a yes or no question, but we have an interlocking word order here where tantai is agreeing with irai and anamis is agreeing with kailestabis. And what we call this is chiasmus. Chiasmus, if you imagine the Greek spelling, would have an X, the symbol chi uh, in the Greek alphabet, meaning that we're going A, B, B, A, that we're interlocking our word order and what agrees with what. 
And we have to imagine, even for a native Latin speaker, for that listener hearing this poem for the first time, there's a matter of suspense that's being created when we don't know what's this so great thing until the very last word we find out it's those angers of those celestial beings. So again, we want to pay attention to the way that Virgil plays with his language here and how he turns Latin into poetry. And what we'll see next is his answer. Antiqua urbs fuit. There was an ancient city. Terrii tenuere coloni. The Tyrian colonists held it. Notice here tenuere probably looks a little bit strange. At first glance, it looks like an infinitive, but that's the perfect tense stem. And what's actually happening here is something that we call truncation. Tenuerunt is the form that we would most naturally see in Latin prose. However, Virgil will shorten what would normally be a tenuerunt or an erunt ending, a perfect third person plural, into tenuere. And the answer for why he does this and why other poets will do this is to fit the meter. And it's actually a little bit more of an archaic form that Virgil is enjoying as well. We're going to see Virgil use archaic Latin forms oftentimes. In a lot of ways, this is very similar to reading Shakespeare as a non-native English speaker, and suddenly you're seeing forms we've never seen before, or seeing forms that only Shakespeare ever uses himself. It's some part of the beauty of reading Virgil, but a lot of the frustration, and again, why you need me and how awesome I am. And then we find out what the city is. Carthago, with the Greek spelling there, that kappa, starting off the sentence. Italium contra Tiberina longa ostia. Notice the delayed preposition of contra, against, across from, facing or opposing Italy, and the Tiberine shores, longae, by a long distance. Notice the very traditional formation of the adverb here. And I want to point out just the playful nature of that language, contra, meaning both geographically opposed to, but also the fact that this is a subtle reference to the Punic Wars something that all Latin speakers would know intrinsically as part of their history, and something hopefully you have a little background in. But this story is going to serve for a little bit of the backdrop of what caused the Punic Wars, and specifically why Rome and Carthage not only hate each other, but needed to destroy each other one way or another. And you're thinking, oh, because two Mediterranean powers were growing too large in their influence and running into each other? And I'm like, no, there was a love story between their founders, you idiot. And here we'll continue to describe Carthage as divis opum, rich in resources, studiisque asperima belli, and as harsh as could be asperima in its eagerness for war. And Virgil's going to continue here to describe Carthago and connect it with the relative pronoun quam, agreeing in number and gender, but not necessarily case. Quam juno ferter, juno is said coluisse to have cultivated, taken care of, worshipped. And this is the same colo idea of the word agricola and as the word coloni we saw earlier with the terrii coloni, the people who take care of a new city. And it's said that this is the place that she takes care of or worships or cares for more than all the other cities. Magis teres omnibus unam, that one. Posabito, samo. With samo having been put aside because of course we all know that Samos is her very most famous island and you're like where's Samos and I'm like look it up I'm not really sure which one that is but what we have there is that ablet of absolute postabite Samo with Samo having been put aside this is the one that she loves the most 
And if you wanted more evidence that it was her favorite, here we go. Hic ilius arma, hic curus fuit. Here, at this place, are the arms of that one. Here is the chariot of that one. Hoc regnum dea gentibus esse, si qua fata senant, iam tum tenditque fowitque. And the goddess held on to this idea. She held on to it and she cherished it. That this would be the kingdom for her people if any fates might allow it. Notice here that after the C, we have qua instead of aliqua. And you might know that little trick that after C, nisi, num, or ne, all the alis fall away. Or if you're very British, all the alis take a holiday. So we should translate C qua fata as C aliqua fata if any fate. And then we have sinant, which you might notice to yourself, comes from sino, sinere, and you're like, why is there an A? And I'm like, well, because it's subjunctive. If any fate would allow it, but it won't, because we know that this has not come to pass. We know that Carthage is actually doomed to be destroyed, not because of international Mediterranean power politics. No, because the two founders had a love affair and it didn't work out. And here we have it revealed how Juno knows to be mad at the Trojans, even though the Trojans definitely don't destroy the Carthaginians. In fact, we know that it's going to be the Romans who destroy the Carthaginians. But Adirat, she had heard, and I do want to point out here, we would expect Adirat with a V in the middle of Adi and Erat, but what we have here is something called syncopation. The verb shortens in the middle. In this case, it shortens by only one letter, but sometimes we'll see more than one letter, oftentimes from the perfect stem. I point this out because we'll oftentimes see this happen so that verbs fit the meter. But in this case, I don't really see much of a difference it's making. Just to point out there, anytime a verb shortens in the middle, we call it syncopation. Anytime you pass out in the medical field, they call that syncopation. And apparently something in music is called syncopation when you clap weird, but who cares about music? But again, she had heard, and her hearing is going to put us into indirect discourse, a little bit of the upside-down world where everything will be governed by infinitives. She had heard that this progenium, that this race, would be duki. Right here we have a present passive infinitive. Remember, even though it's present tense, it's present in terms of the main verb, so it's still in the past. But that this progenium, this race, would be led, is going to be led, Troiano a sanguine, from Trojan blood. We're making a veiled reference to Rome here, and Virgil's Latin audience knows exactly who we're talking about, but we're not explicitly calling them Romans just yet. And that she heard it would be this race from Trojan blood, quae vertret arces terias, which would turn over or topple Tyrian Towers. Oh my goodness, you have to love that. That Tyrias Arches, Tyrian Towers there. And a few things I want to dive into here. Notice that quai is feminine singular, agreeing with progenium, referring to that race we had as the first word of the last sentence. A quick reminder that relative pronouns will agree with their antecedents in number and in gender, but not necessarily in case. And we say that that race which Vertret arches terias is going to turn over those Tyrian towers. Vertret is in fact subjunctive, imperfect tense subjunctive to be precise. And it's subjunctive because she heard that this was a race which would do this. And this is a relative clause of characteristic describing who this race is. But I want to point out here, 
Anytime we get into the kind of murky depths of the subjunctive, just think to yourself this. Latin has three moods, indicative, imperative, and subjunctive. Ask yourself, is it a fact? Did it happen? Is it happening? Or is it going to happen? Then we use indicative. Is it a command? Are you commanding someone to do something right this second or vaguely in the future, which is kind of weird? Well, that's an imperative. Everything else has to be governed by the subjunctive. So even when we have these relative clauses of characteristic describing what this race of people would do in the future, we have to throw it in the subjunctive. We'll dive more into the subjunctive later on, but if you're as terrified of it as I was, you'll appreciate these little asides. And here's another part that she heard. Hinc populum latte regum belloque superbum venturum excidio libii. That from here, hinc, Hink is the answer to unde, and we have hink and a link from here and from there as the answers to unde. A populum regem, and one text I've referenced suggests that regem is a shortened form of regentem, ruling, another present active participle, but really that this people would be the king widely, right? that this people is ruling over other people, so they're the king widely over the lands, and that they would be superbum, that they would be proud or arrogant, bello, in war, an ablative of respect, referring back to how they're being proud. That this people, when turum, would be coming, a rare use of the future active participle, excidio libii, that they're coming for the purpose of the destruction of Libya. The dative of purpose can be used in this sense, and there's a lot of other ways to show purpose in Latin, but I would imagine dative of purpose was the easiest way to fit it into these lines. So here we reveal that this people was coming, venturum, for the purpose of the destruction of Libya. The reference of Libya here is still referring back to Carthage, which Rome is going to destroy in the future. And I'm telling you again, no, not because that two major Mediterranean powers eventually start running into each other in their power politics games. No, that's ridiculous. It's because their two founders went on a couple dates, and then one of the founders tried to ghost the other. And that's a really bad thing to do, and it did not work out for either side, but really more so for the Carthaginians. Seek wore parkas. Thus, the fates reveal or they unravel. This is wrapping up that indirect discourse, the indirect statement that was created with adiwarat when we went into the upside down and everything was being governed by infinitives. I want to wrap up here pointing out that the parkai is the word we're using for fata. We're referring to them with this Latin verb parkere, meaning to spare, that the fates are called the spare bearers because they really don't spare anyone which doesn't make a ton of sense until you know that the furies are referred to the as the graces um, in greek literature so this is just one of the euphemisms we'll use to refer to the fates but this is a moment where we get a little insight into virgil's cosmological understanding that yeah the gods are all powerful but they're actually not powerful over the fates and that the fates are dictating what's going to happen Juno can try as she might, and she can make this journey really, really miserable. And at some point, she decides that she's going to do exactly just that. But still, along the way, eventually, we know that the historical process will unfold. Aeneas will make it to the promised land, and he'll end up you know, doing what he needs to do, killing who he needs to kill, and marrying who he needs to marry. But again, we can't blame Juno for trying. She just wanted to commit one small genocide. And we have to tip our cap to the fact she gave it the old college try. 
And we're back for the Grammar of the Week. This week's Grammar of the Week is the present active participle. Present active participles are, of course, participles, meaning they're verbal adjectives, adjectives that come from verbs. Present active participles describe a noun as doing an action right now. Today we saw dolens, hurting or grieving, describing the regina. Present active participles are formed from the present stem. And you're like, what's the present stem? And I'm like, the infinitive without the re. And you're like, what's the infinitive again? And I'm like, the second principle part of a verb. And you're like, oh, and I'm like, yeah. Anyway, the present stem plus the ending ns and ntis. So the verb amare becomes amans, amantis. You can tell a participle is a present active participle if it has the telltale nt in the present. So English words such as current, fluent, imminent, and even present are all derived from present active participles. Present active participles are the only set of participles that use third declension adjective endings. If you don't know what third declension adjective endings are, go learn them. Or not, it's your podcast, I'm just living in it. Generally speaking, we will translate present active participles as verbing. So in the sentence, we are currens ursam weedet, the running man sees the bear, the present active participle currens describes the weir as running. However, I can add just one prepositional phrase, weir in via currens ursam weedet, and already our translation becomes unwieldy. The running in the road man sees the bear? At that point, I'm better off understanding it as a clause, such as the man, while running in the road, sees a bear. Calling present active participles present tense can be a little bit misleading. They're really contemporaneous to the main verb, although that doesn't really roll off the tongue quite well, contemporaneous active participles. Let's go back to our example. If I were to say, weird currens ursam weed a bit, the running man will see the bear, the man is clearly running at the same time as when he sees the bear, so it's in the future. We don't know whether or not he's running right now. Or, we are currens ursum we did. The running man saw the bear. He definitely saw the bear while he was running, but the Latin isn't saying he's still running to this very day. So, the finer points. Present active participles are formed from the present stem plus ns and ntis. We translate it as verbing. Use third declension adjective endings, and they are contemporaneous to the main verb. They are very useful for adding more actions to a sentence quickly without adding more finite verbs. The majority of participles you encounter in Virgil's Aeneid, and generally in Latin, will either come from perfect passive or present active participles. We'll save their less common future cousins for a future episode. Get it? Future? Yeah, you're done with me. And there we have it, Discipoli. All the free Latin you get for today. If you enjoyed today's episode, like, subscribe, share, drop a coin for your Magister, and join us next week to find out why you so mad, Juno. Well, they taste so tuli. <laughs>